It's a cross post, I suppose. We're guests on each other's. Hmm. Well, for my listeners, I've had Rod as a guest before. Would you like to explain a little bit about yourself, Pat? Um, sure. Pat Brown, uh, lawyer and part-time web developer. And um, for the purposes of today's discussion, someone who lived in the Middle East for quite a while and speaks relatively good Arabic to this day. Excellent. So you're an expert in the field. Not really, but uh, I have some experience with um, Islamic radicals. So that will come in handy in today's discussion, no doubt. Uh, so obviously what we'll be talking about tonight is the um, the killings over in France, the Charlie Hebdo yeah. um, uh, disaster, I suppose. Because well, um, I was very, well, I still do work for satirical news people. I, I still write for Irrational Fear. I occasionally write for SBS Comedy mm-hmm. in a political capacity and I used to do News Lab with Charles Firth, which was a brief, ill-fated venture. But, you know, I've I feel like... I don't know, maybe extra sad about it. Mm. And I, uh, I'm a journalist myself with fairly strong feelings about uh, freedom of expression and journalistic uh, integrity and um, how it has been eroded over the past few years. Um, so I, uh, I was just really quite affected by this one. Yeah, we have a gamut of perspectives here, I'd say. So why do you say that uh, journalistic freedom's been eroded over the last couple of years? What do you think factors into that? A lot of things factor into it, but um, and over the last few years, it probably goes back uh, decades, really, if we really wanted to get into it. But just the um, uh, uh, infotainment direction that news coverage has gone in where it doesn't really matter um, so much that you're being accurate or fair just so long as you get the ratings. Um, and um, the uh, the politicisation of it as well, especially in America and, uh, and in Australia, and I suppose the UK as well, but I don't have as much experience about that side of things, um, where you see the main media companies basically just writing what um, generally the Conservative governments or political parties want them to um, yeah, that's nasty. But there's sort of two perspectives on this. You used to be able to be executed by the state for things like heresy or you know, uh, sedition or treasonous language. You could you, Those were uh, mm. criminal offences and it's actually not... We actually haven't had freedom of speech for particularly long, which is maybe why it's such a shame to see it. Although one of the... Uh, I was actually just thinking about this, um, you know, about the, the killings over in France. One of the probably longest examples of um, freedom of speech in uh, in the news would probably be the cartoons. Um, long history of, um, uh, in England and the States um, and Australia, the political cartoonists could draw all sorts of outrageous things about the, uh, the politicians and things of the day um, and, uh, and get away with it. Um, yeah, that sort of deliberate crudity hmm. meant it could go under the radar. Yeah. Well, the Islamic radicals didn't get that note. No, <laughs> they, they did not. Perhaps not as familiar with our uh, safety valves for expression as we might like them to be. Hmm. So this is one thing that I've been kind of annoyed by, maybe, is the immediate liberal, and this is something that's happened uh, more and more recently with these kind of very quick turnover news stories, the immediate rush from liberal people to prove how how uh, tolerant 
tolerant they are by pointing out, for example, that these that these cartoons were quote unquote problematic. Ignoring yeah. perhaps the fact that they're meant to be problematic. Yeah. Ignoring the kind of French tradition, arguably the French racism, uh, which is more acceptable there, but less acceptable here. But sort of to refuse to excuse French racism while excusing Middle Eastern racism, it seems yeah, patronising. I've got problems with that as well. Um, and I suppose, uh, I, I mean, just uh, in my, uh, my own example, uh, as I was finding out about this on uh, on Thursday morning, it happened sort of Wednesday night for us in Australia, I think. Um and I woke up on Thursday and was was um, listening to it on the radio. Got to work, and my first reaction was just to uh, scribble a little cartoon of Muhammad, like just a little angry stick figure with a beard and a scimitar. Um, <laughs> <laughs> subtle, yeah, subtle. Like it, a work of all of about five seconds. A racist caricature, yeah, if you with will. With just a stupid little caption like "This is a cartoon of the Prophet Muhammad." Seems a bit silly to get offended by it. Um, God was offended. <laughs> God was offended. Um, and uh, and I was actually I was going to uh, I was going to put that on t- uh, Twitter with uh, part of that stupid well, it's not stupid I suppose the the hashtag um, je suis Shelley yeah um, and um, unfortunately my uh, it's my own personal Twitter account but it automatically links through to the newspaper I work for's website and, and all our tweets get uploaded on the website there so I just asked my news editor look is is this okay and she said no definitely not. Um, um, and I think that's uh, part of the thing. Like you can't, uh, you can't actually express your support for the the victims in this in the way that uh, you'd like to. And I'm sure there have been many people who might not have drawn their own little cartoon, but maybe wanted to, um, you know, share the actual cartoons that the the uh, uh, publication had published, and didn't because they just felt. Afraid? Yes. Well, two things, I think. One is, Pat, I'd like to hear your opinion on this, why it's so offensive and then why there seems to be this willingness to say to the French, well, your cartoons were racist without being willing to say, you know, it's sort of like you you have two different standards, one for us and one for them. Like they're not supposed to know better than to kill people. Like, that seems to be a lot of the tone. It's like we should be better than making racist cartoons. But I don't think they necessarily even are racist cartoons. I don't think they're racist yeah. cartoons I mean, at they're all. caricatures, and caricatures are always sort of grotesques. Yeah. So in terms of the religious doctrines, um, there's a general prohibition on drawing even the human figure in Islam because it's considered a usurpation of God's creative role. So... That's one aspect of it, and it's particularly insulting to draw the Prophet Muhammad um, against that prohibition. I just had a quick question on that. It was something I heard, but I didn't know enough about it to know if it was accurate or not, and with your experience, you might. Um, Just uh, read somewhere, I can't remember where, in the last couple of days, that there's nothing actually in the Quran saying you can't um, uh, draw or have a visual representation I've only, of the prophet, yeah. but it, it was only in one of the hadiths or something like that? Oh, right. I actually didn't even know that it was in hadith. Okay. So the difference between Quran and hadith is that hadith are, it's like a record of 
the sayings and the life and sort of stories from the the Prophet Muhammad's um, experience as an Islamic teacher. Um, and the Quran is the codified constitution. So, you know, there are differing levels of hadith. Some get more weight than others in terms of their veracity. But if it's in hadith, that's good enough for most Sunni Muslims. Um, the Sunni Muslims are the ones who follow the, the hadith. Um, but, yeah, it doesn't have to be in the Quran to be a prohibition. Mm. And, um, I mean, to be honest with you, it's, I'm surprised it's become such a fixation. I mean, there's a lot of peripheral stuff that becomes fixated in a lot of religious creeds. I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm, fi I'm finding it very interesting because, of course, of course, there are a lot of Muslims who are just normal people living normal lives, and they are getting a lot of backlash from other normal people who see them as as part of this. Um, but I do think it's disingenuous to say. Uh, for example, with Anders Breivik, who this is an example I've seen thrown around on Twitter. I'm a white man. When Anders Breivik committed his massacre, nobody asked me to condemn it. Um, but I think that there's a sort of a, an understanding among non-Muslim people that it's part of the religion not to condemn this kind of killing. And so they're asking normal quote-unquote, normal Muslims to condemn it as a way of reassuring themselves. I'm, I'm getting tangled up here because I'm not sure exactly what, what the thing is, but there, I, I do think there's a distinction between those two things. Yeah, so the, I suppose... Anders Breivik is not claiming to stand for all yeah, am white I, are, men. Am I right in saying, like, your question or the, the sort of issue you're trying to cover is how much distance is there between the actual teachings of Islam and killing people who have gone against the teachings of Islam? Yes, I actually don't know whether or not the penalty for this is death in Islam. I, I couldn't tell you. Penalty for what? For drawing um, or, or usurping the role of God in drawing the human figure or doing it in such a way that it directly insults the Prophet. And you need to keep in mind just how seriously Muslims take the Prophet Muhammad. Um, when you refer to the Prophet Muhammad, it is correct form to say, peace be upon him, every time you mention his name. So I wouldn't say that the Prophet Muhammad is Can I Muhammad just asterisk a, that? Yeah. As a general addition? Sure. Yeah. Post hoc? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. So that I don't actually have to say it every time? Can we just assume that... Oh, sorry. <laughs> I completely missed that. Um, well, I don't have a great deal of respect for Muhammad, the historical figure, so you can asterisk that for yourself, but it, it, not for me. Um, where was I, though? Sorry, you were, you were explaining something quite important and I interrupted by being facetious. <laughs> no, there's nothing wrong with being facetious. I, yeah, I think topic. the thing that I'm saying is um, the distinction that is made by people who accuse normal Muslims of being part of this terrorist kind of agenda or ask normal Muslims to distance themselves from this uh, terrorist agenda is that the people who do commit nasty crimes claim to be doing it on behalf of all other Muslims. And so you kind of want to want them to, I think this is the reason why people are going up to normal Muslims and saying, condemn this, is they want to reassure themselves that they're not being part of it. Yeah, well, I think if you confront a Muslim or a person you know who's Muslim and ask them directly about this topic, um, in a confrontational way, you're a bit of a douchebag to begin with. 
At the same time, though, it's worthwhile having a reasoned discussion with people about it. Um, the Muslim response seems to be very mixed, at least from you know, moderate to conservative Muslim leaders, in that they, I think, are very offended by what the magazine had done, at the same time as knowing that this is not the proper way to go about remedying it. Um, but I think you'd have a very large minority of Muslims throughout the world who are, who'd be pretty pleased at what's been done in their name. And that's not a particularly popular, it's not a particularly popular opinion to hold, but the statistics are fairly clear on the opinion in the Muslim world on the penalties in relation to things like apostasy and, uh, um, adultery and stealing. Um, Muslims kick it old school if they're conservative and they're believers in corporal punishments, including death, um, for various offences. This is something that uh, interests me a bit, though, in that, uh, fine, if it's, you know, against the Muslim faith to draw the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, um, or whatever, um, you know, you go ahead and you, you don't do that. Um, you don't drink alcohol, don't eat pork, but I'm not of the Muslim faith. Yeah. How, how do their penalties apply to someone outside of it doing it? That's a super interesting question. I don't get it. Jurisdiction. I, I, jurisdiction. You have no jurisdiction over me. Yeah, I can actually tell you exactly why. Okay, that's oh. uh, excellent. Yeah. I'm going to learn something today. So good, because I just don't know enough about so this. In like in Christianity... Um, you would say the New Testament, at least, is largely pitched at the individual and it exhorts the individual to do various good works throughout their life and to turn the other cheek and the like. But the Quran is really, it is like, or it's perceived to be a constitution, like the way that you run a society. And it was predicated on the supremacy of Muslim leaders in a society. So it basically does not brook dissent. The idea is, is that if you are, for instance, if you're a, a person of the book, if you're a Jew or a Christian and you're living in an Islamic society, because it presumes that it is an Islamic controlled society, that you have to pay extra taxes, but you can continue to do what um, your religion dictates that you do, despite not being Muslim. But the idea is that the rules of Islam are basically considered applicable to all people. And so in the case, for instance, of apostasy, you have to be a Muslim before you become an apostate. You have to leave to become an apostate. And the penalty is death then. But in this case, you've got a religion that's generally pitched as being the way that society should run. And it is an offensive thing for a person who's not a Muslim to portray the Prophet Muhammad or to do anything else. So, I mean, these sets of rules are predicated on the idea that the society in which they are applied is Muslim majority yeah. or Muslim controlled. So Muslim how do they, controlled. does it consider how Muslim people should behave in non-Muslim controlled societies? There's a really interesting yeah. graph actually to this point which is showing the racism in Europe about this so-called Muslim creep where people assume that the 
there's about 30% Muslims in their society and it's usually between... There's not more than about 10% in yeah. any European country and in some places where they think it's quite high. It's 0.1% in Hungary and 6% in, in... So this... That's two points conflated into one. One is that there is this creeping racism and nastiness and nasty feeling towards Muslims, which I think is why liberals very quickly jump to the defence almost of terrorists but not quite that in in attempting to protect people who are not terrorists they are willing to excuse pretty bad behavior um and then you also have this um question of is there a rule is there a specific rule for how you behave if you're not the boss i'm sure that there are bits and pieces i should predicate Everything else I say, by the way, by saying I'm not an expert in any stretch on the Islamic religion. I just happen to have been exposed to it more than the average person. Um, so I'm sure that there are bits and pieces about how to behave if you're in the minority. But in general, the the rules, particularly in the Quran, are the, pitched society-wide. non-Muslim person. <laughs> yeah, more than the average non-Muslim. Um, but uh, it, it's considered to be a prescription for how to run society at large. And if you are in an Islamic society and you draw a picture of the Prophet Muhammad, depending on what the Hadith says, um, if that source that you read is correct, then um, it would make perfect sense to them that you'd be punished, that that offence would be punishable by death. Um, so that's just one sort of reason behind it. There are a number of others, but I don't want to get sort of too far into the details. Where I think we should really go here, though, is to first ask the question of whether or not it is a tasteful thing to draw a cartoon of the Prophet Muhammad. Just leave aside the religion and the sort of formal aspects of it. Like, long and short of it is, do you guys think it's a, a thing that should be done? Well, for me, cultural... Those are two different questions. Yeah. Tasteful and should be done. Yeah. Um, I suppose I'm trying to explain... Like by tasteful, I mean, is it something that in polite society where you're considering the feelings of those around you that you consider is okay to do? It depends on who you are and what your role is in society. Yeah. Okay, that's it, a good point. Sure. Yeah, so, so I mean to, to use the example of um, uh, the uh, Charlie Hebdo cartoons or the uh, Danish cartoons from a few years ago, um, don't see a problem with it. Uh, Even knowing though could, how, yeah, effect, how yeah, much it affects I mean, Muslims. They, um, the, the cartoons themselves uh, might have been in poor taste, mm. um, but they were cartoonists living, working in liberal Western countries. Mm. Um, they're, Specifically they're, secular France. Yeah. And it's, France is and, not just secular, it's anti-religious. I mean, yeah. the whole French Revolution was pretty, you know, uh, there's a lot of anti-religion, like yeah. active anti-religion in the culture. Yeah, and, and what, they, what their job is, um, is to write, uh, you know, scathing uh, draw scathing cartoons about the problems in the world. Mm. Um, and if they see you know, an act of terrorism or, in this case, um, you know, the, the various atrocities that ISIS are uh, performing on mostly other Muslims um, in the name of, uh, in the name of uh, Muhammad and Allah, mm. and they draw a cartoon about that, that, that's them doing their job and doing it well. And to say, oh, well, that's going to offend someone, go fuck yourself. 
Yeah, right. So I think two things. One is that I don't particularly like to offend people, but some principles do need to be offended, and I don't trust this trend now that puts offence at the level of a real injury. Like, I don't like being shouted at. I really don't like conflict. I don't like people who hate me. I don't like being called names, and those things hurt my feelings, but those things are not the same as abuse. Oh, I agree with you entirely. And I've, you know, I've, I've done this uh, in unwittingly. I did this um, satirical piece on on Papua New Guinea when it was being proposed as a refugee camp location. Uh, I did a I looked up all the statistics on theft and attacks and assaults and diseases and the fact that uh, homosexuality is still illegal there and that people are still burned as witches in in places in that country. And, you know, did a fairly clumsy satirical piece on why you might not want to send vulnerable minorities there, including things like there's targeted gang rapes on tourists and foreigners. And then I got just a bunch of very angry, threatening messages from Papua New Guinean people who'd had their feelings hurt by my piece. But Mm. I think that I stand by that. I think that was worth the things that I said were true and worth pointing out. Yeah. And the fact that somebody might be really, really, really hurt by that, I thought was worth the worth saying it nonetheless. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think in, in most things, context is hugely important. I mean, uh, to compare, just to uh, compare it to something, if, uh, if some redneck Australian racist uh, in the western suburbs of Sydney tonight went to a, a mosque in Lakemba and spray-painted an image of the Prophet Muhammad getting sodomised by a dog on the walls. That um, is actually a spectacularly insulting thing. Yeah. That's like very that nice. Would, yeah. yeah, that would um, that would not be okay. Um, context is hugely important. Well, a political cartoonist... Yes. Um, yeah, you're not forcing somebody to, to yeah. swallow that. Yeah, a political cartoonist drawing a, uh, a picture of the, uh, the Prophet Muhammad um, beheading someone uh, and saying this is in the name of Allah with an ISIS shirt. Um, I, I don't see... Yeah, that. so how would you guys feel, to, to dial down your example... Yeah which is wonderful, <laughs> brings joy yeah, to my heart extreme. just to hear it. It's, yeah, I um, see, that, those are things that I wouldn't, yeah, but I wouldn't what say. If, what if someone wanted to make a point in Sydney and they went and stood outside the Auburn Mosque with a stick figure under which was written Muhammad and then underneath that in brackets, my mate down the road? Would you consider that to be over the line in terms of, of a satirical protest against this kind of barbarism? Because we uh, all agree it's barbarism. Yeah. Uh, well, I suppose, again, the context of where he is, like he, it, I mean, he, you know, he's down by the local Sydney mosque, yeah. which probably does not have uh, yeah, I think I- it's... ISIS terrorists in it as much as Tony Abbott might like us to believe there are. Um, but it might. <laughs> Here's an interesting one because I've got, you know, some Jewish blood and I find Holocaust deniers really upsetting. But there's a lot of countries that now have made laws against Holocaust deniers, right? Sure, yeah. Saudi Arabia 
in response to this attack, has condemned the attack but asked or proposed an international law against uh, against making images of Muhammad. Yeah, right. Well, that's just as ridiculous as stopping Holocaust deniers from spewing their filth and convicting themselves in the court of a public opinion by their own stupidity, in my opinion. See, uh, yeah. Just let people say the dumb shit they want to say. People are going to get access to the information regardless via the internet. Um, See, and this is the problem for me. I think the, the argument that people should be able to say anything they want to say and they'll be revealed for the stupid idiots that they are mm. is starting to fall to pieces in the face of the way that like right-wing horrible bullshit is just getting so much traction on the internet and people just feed themselves on the crap that they want to swallow and they don't actually expose themselves to a wide mm. range of opinions. People's minds don't change the more they educate themselves. And so what would you propose to remedy that? <sighs> a, I think that Facebook should stop doing that selective thing where it only shows you things you like. Yeah. Um, I don't think we should only see things that we enjoy. I do think that I do think it's worth being careful of other people's feelings, but I also think people need to toughen up. I have very conflicting uh, views on this because you know there's that uh, poor trans girl who killed herself because her parents were you know just said get over it basically, and then while I'd say those are just words that her parents said. I, sh I don't think you should be allowed to say that to somebody. Sure. Can I, I – I think another instructive way to approach the issue is to just sort of try and understand it from the perspective of a Muslim. Mm -hmm. um, so I was trying to think of an analogy earlier on about – for us, this is freedom of speech, and we say, oh, don't be silly, it's just a cartoon. That's the average response from a Western person who doesn't have this cultural sensitivity. But um, – it's really hard to dream up an analogy to sort of convey how insulted a Muslim person is from seeing this kind of thing. And the, the only thing that I can really think of that would appeal to a secular audience, because it's easy to think of ones for Christians or whatever, is someone pissing on a war memorial. So, for instance, if you had a Muslim that thought it was a good idea to protest the presence of Australian troops in Muslim countries to go and piss on any war memorial that has uh, tributes to uh, Afghanistan and Iraq veterans, that mm. would outrage the Australian population That doesn't quite work for no, super No, I know it doesn't work. Anti-war types. I know there are lots of problems with the analogy, but I'm just trying to sort of reveal the, the issue of just how insulting it is to people who are of that faith. What about those Facebook groups that show women being beaten up and, you know, all of those horrible graphic things that are that are posited as jokes. Yeah, that's, that's probably that's a that's a good analogy. Yeah, where actually. they you know because you can do that fine, It's just it's just Photoshop. It's not real or it's just a joke. Get over it. Yeah, I, actually, I have no idea what you're talking about. Is that a that is a thing. There are Facebook groups that have not been taken down. There's Facebook groups with breastfeeding images that have been taken down for not meeting community standards. But there's Facebook groups that are basically series of graphic rape images, beating images, things like, you know, what do you say to a woman with two black eyes, nothing, she's already been told twice, with pictures of women who are, who are horribly injured, uh, and then comment, comments on those images that vary between vile and uh, vomit-worthy. 
I have um, no idea that Facebook had such a CD underbelly. Yeah, it does. And and that stuff's on the internet all over mm. the place. So I find those images incredibly upsetting because I think... Would you advocate for the prosecution of people who put those up, create them, promote them? I would advocate almost for the... Not the prosecution necessarily, unless there's an actual threat of violence, but I would argue for zero anonymity... On those compulsory, compulsory zero anonymity. Yeah, I think it should be obvious. I think it should be. There's there's a trend at the moment in with Ku Klux Klaners being um, not doxed, but having their Facebook defrocked. Yeah, having their Facebook <laughs> profiles publicised. So they they publish something vile on a Tumblr post or on Twitter, and these people hunt them down, find their face, find their name, find their employee, take screenshots of the offensive comment, and send it to their employers or to their families, um, I don't actually have a problem with that. Well, I mean, in, in, a, in a way, that's uh, doing what you were saying earlier, about allowing them to be uh, found guilty in the court of public opinion. Um, yeah. Yeah, like you've said, you've said something uh, that most people would find distasteful and you've tried to do it anonymously. Mm. Now here's your name. Everyone knows it was you who said it. Um, yeah, freedom, get, yeah, freedom of speech doesn't mean freedom from consequence, but the consequence shouldn't be uh, physical. Yeah, yeah obviously. So and, and again, a political cartoonist working for a magazine or a newspaper has this, his name or her name on the bottom of it. Yeah, and so I take the point, it'd be very hard to come up with an analogy where for merely saying a thing, you would have people in the West want a person to be put to death. I can think of a bunch of things where they'd want them to be jailed, but some of those like rapey, pedophile-y, jokey sites, I think, would you get a backlash from mainly young men who want to prove themselves to be feminists, saying, "Oh, if I met this guy, I'd rip his balls off," etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, let's not go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> Um, so I don't know. I feel like that kind of fell flat a little bit, not your, what you were just saying, just trying to find an analogy to sort of convey how insulting this is to people. It's insulting enough to make them want to commit violence. It's upsetting enough. Well, the, the question is, is, is it really this particular issue? that makes them violent or they're already... Ra- I mean, my view on it is that they're already radicalised and this is a good enough issue to go and kill people about. Yeah, like the way... And by, by they, you mean radical Muslims. Radical yeah. Islamists. Yeah, yeah, like if we're talking if we're talking in general terms, I don't believe that, um, you know, a, a cartoon featuring a depiction of the Prophet Muhammad uh, would make most Muslims angry enough to think that person should be killed. Certainly not the majority, no. 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 Does, I mean, it does make, is it the majority or is it a minority? There was a, a, a study on this or like a survey. It makes a majority of Muslim people think the person should be prosecuted, right? I couldn't tell you. In fact, I think this is, because we're talking about a touchy issue, I actually think it's worth doing a Google on this. So we'll be right back. So after a lengthier interlude than we thought, (laughs) we actually did find that statistic. Um, It was an NOP poll commissioned by Channel 4 in Britain that found that 78% of the respondents uh, believed that the people who published the 
Danish cartoons um, should be prosecuted. So that was 78% of British Muslims thought that the publishers of the Danish cartoons should be prosecuted. I suppose that gives you some sense of what kind of majority we're talking about. Did they, I mean, because it's a very long distance between wanting someone to be prosecuted and, and thinking it's okay for them to be Absolutely. killed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Nonetheless, it gives you a sense of, uh, there's, a compl- there's a huge gap between the culture of even, um, you know, people who've been born in a country who are Muslim and those in the same country on matters of religious sensitivity like this. Um, so, you know, I think you'd be very hard-pressed to find people who, in an opinion poll, will say that they approve of terrorist attacks in the name of the Prophet Muhammad after uh, he's been cartoonified. But uh, it's it just gives you some sense of perhaps it's not as rare a phenomenon as you might otherwise think. But it's, it is still hard to know. It's an unknowable. So what was your experience in when you were in the Middle East of... Uh, reactions on the ground to this kind of attack or to te- terrorism in general? Um, I don't think that um, I was in the Israeli-occupied territories and I don't think that it's very instructive on this topic, um, mainly because these were people under really extraordinary pressure and it was a conflict zone. So, Which were people, the people you were talking to? What do you mean? When you say these were people? Um, the people who inhabited Nablus, which was the city that I lived in for most of the time that I was there. Mm-hmm. And these were mainly Muslim people? Yeah, yeah. So, well, I mean, overwhelmingly Muslim and very conservative as well. So it was an extremely conservative Muslim city. I just don't think it's instructive. Okay. If I could uh, could break in for a moment with a breaking news update from the World Wide Web. Okay. Um, on the, uh, the situation in Paris... At the moment, uh, this is from the Guardian website, um, just uh, within the last uh, half an hour, um, uh, the alleged gunmen um, have taken hostages at an industrial estate in uh, northeast Paris. Um, police are on the scene, shots have been fired apparently in a car chase um, before the, this occurred and there is now a siege going on. Some news um, organisations have... Uh, uh, reported that a person has been killed, but the um, Paris prosecutor's office has denied this. Uh, and that's pretty much as much as we know on that at the moment. Uh, all right, back to the podcast. The fact that Reuters reported people killed and it's now been denied by the authorities just says something about news today, I think. Yeah. It, if the, the most reputable source there is is mis- yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of the huge problems with news today is, is that it's it's now considered more important to be first than to be right. Um, which yeah, but I, I think news organisations, I've noticed that they're better than they have been in the past at caveating and saying, well, this is what we understand yeah. at this point and, you know, we're waiting to confirm it. But then you have yeah. unconfirmed reports going around in circles. Yeah, sure, but I actually think that that's... Yeah, it's inevitable um, when people can communicate as quickly as you can now. Um, uh, the newsroom is the newspaper. Um, so obviously we all think this is a barbaric thing. Um, 
Obviously, we are also against racism against normal Muslims. Sure. Normal Muslims. Well, what about conservative Muslims? I mean, obviously, racism is not... But It depends what you mean by conservative Muslims. (laughs) I'm not okay with someone who thinks it's okay that I should be killed if I say something wrong. But that's sort of regardless of creed (laughs) or colour or religion. Uh, Yeah. If it is part of the religion, I don't know. Is it? You hear mixed reports. Yeah, I don't think you can say necessarily that it's part of the religion because a lot of these things are really open to interpretation of the documents, the Hadith or the Quran. Um, even the what is generally recognised as a religious doctrine of killing apostates in Islam, is, I mean, it's not 100% clear when you actually go and look at the texts because I'd heard it bandied about so much, I actually went and did the research once. Yeah. And... It's there, but it's not 100%. Um, you, it's, you, there's definitely an argument that it's not correct to say that Islam um, dictates that apostates be put to death. Um, but to just discuss the incident itself, um, this is I've been leery of all of the pronouncements by the authorities over the last few years about how dangerous the threat of well-trained terrorists returning from foreign war zones is. But this strikes me as perhaps um, uh, a real problem. This to me looks like an actual terrorist attack. That is a scary thing that I would be concerned about happening in Sydney. So it's not like the Sydney siege loan nut case trying to get attention? Yeah, I mean, this isn't the idiot trying to set off a car bomb in Times Square. This isn't, you know... um, The The shoe bomber with sweaty feet that's destroyed his shoe bombs. I mean, there are guys who you just have trouble taking seriously, but I think that these people were serious as a heart attack. But also, are they that different? They're just more competent. It doesn't mean they're driven by different forces. It doesn't mean that they're, no, that's true, but what they're matters justifying themselves is according to the same doc, you know, the same pronouncements by the same dudes. That's true, but there is definitely something more worrying about a competent enemy. Yes. And at least from the, uh, the videos that I've watched and analysis by um, people with military experience who have um, released commentary on the videos, they're incredibly professional operators. Um, and, you know, the execution of the policeman on the street without breaking stride, just is an in, it's an indicator of how uh, accustomed they are to such uh, violent acts. Um, so... Yeah, it shouldn't be that easy to kill someone. No, I mean, you would think that if someone is not very experienced, that they would break stride. And this guy literally does not break stride. He just points and pulls at exactly the right moment as he jogs past the bloke who's on the ground. And it just... He just looks incredibly good at what he's doing, which is a, is a worrying thing. Um, so the question is, I mean, what do you think, Rod? Do you think that this is... The evidence, the smoking gun that the authorities who've been warning us about this phenomenon have been waiting for, the professionalised jihadi. I have no doubt that it'll uh, be used as such, and I I have no doubt that, in a a sense, that they're 
that it's right that you know um, there was always a chance that uh, you know trained radicalized um, Islamists for want of a better term would you know return to their home countries and um, and continue their uh, holy war for, in violent means um, I still don't see it as something to be overly worried about I agree with you on that um, I don't think we should change a bloody thing as a result. Well, they're just starting to get, you know, bins back on plane on train platforms. Yeah. <laughs> like that's a, it's, it's the statistical likelihood of these attacks is still just minuscule. Yeah. But it feels so close because, you know, France is a Western country and where, you know, you're a journalist, I'm a comedian between the two of us is something <laughs> like, you know, what these guys were professionally at least. Yeah, it's it feels much closer than it is. Yeah, that's the thing. And, it, I mean, it's, um, you know, another problem with, I was about to say news, but it's really a problem with human nature in that if, um, you know, the more sensationalist a, de- uh, you know, a death is, the more people pay attention to it. Um, yeah, and also and you're more, more likely to think about and pay attention to bad things in your life because yeah. that's a better survival instinct. No one ever no one ever died because they it, forgot yeah. a rainbow. It's the <laughs> I mean it's the same uh, it's the same sort of feeling that um, you know has people going and culling sharks because a surfer's been bitten. Um, it's statistically hugely unlikely you, you um, basically have to strap steak to your legs. Yeah. Um, but people, you know, get shocked and afraid, and so governments feel they, you know, have to do something. Um, well, I mean, the the perfect example of this is the refugee issue, where governments are pouring ridiculous amounts of money into making examples of poor people, who, when they could manage them much more financially within the community, it would be so much easier to process them in a yeah. humane way than it would be to treat them like animals. Yeah. But they're doing it because of this perceived threat, which, you know, if you look at the numbers, is just not there. Yeah. We, um, we've spoken a lot tonight about, uh, you know, the cultural sensitivities of, every, of, uh, of the, the cartoons and depictions of, uh, of, of Muhammad. Um, but um, I just thought it, uh, an interesting thing that I heard yesterday, which I think is worth raising, um, I can't remember who it was, it was some academic, um, was making the argument that he thought the, um, the purpose behind the gunman uh, had absolutely nothing to do with the fact that these people had drawn these cartoons and that they were offended by these cartoons at all, that it was actually a much more well-thought-out um, tactic of driving a wedge between uh, moderate uh, Muslims in Europe and Europeans, um, yeah, and in a sense, it was uh, that the uh, the gunmen here in uh, terrorists here in um, in Paris were actually working on a, you know, I suppose a master plan, a wider scale, yeah, to to, to draw. They more, want this. They yeah. want this racist backlash, exactly. and that racist backlash will itself radicalize more young. Yeah. Moderate Muslims who will feel alienated from the society in which they live, they'll feel yeah. othered and then they'll start to get angry. Um, and I thought that was an interesting idea. I wasn't entirely convinced by it, as in I can see that that 
that it is a likely outcome of what they're doing here, but whether or not it was actually something that they had thought about and it's like, yes, this is why we're going I mean, to do this. I mean, it's a good I, strategy tree yeah. if, you're, if your action fulfills both the purpose for which it was intended and another purpose. Like, I think it doesn't need to be either or. You can have more than one reason for doing something. True. Including the fact that these young men were probably, you know, quite angry, pathetic, lonely individuals. Like, there's you can you can also be a radicalised terrorist, religious nut and a lonely young man and someone who, you know, doesn't know right from wrong. Or, you know, like you, you have a number of things. It doesn't all need to be one. Yeah. You can be offended by the comics and want to radicalise young men to your cause. Yeah. The um, Washington Post, or sorry, the um, New York Times is reporting that... One of the two brothers um, travelled to Yemen in 2011 and received terrorist training from Al-Qaeda's affiliate in that country before returning to France. Um, so there does seem to be a link with a wider terrorist organisation. And regardless of whether or not that was the, the strategic intention driving that wedge, mm. that is what is will happen. Well, well, yeah. that is what sure. I mean, there's already the, uh, the massive anti um uh, anti-Islam, anti-immigration protests going on ar around Europe at the moment and the ones in Germany especially got a lot of attention this week before this uh, incident in France. Um, what do you think, Pat, about the assertion that these guys, uh, or at least one of them, was radicalised by seeing footage of the atrocities in uh, Abu Ghraib? Um, I don't know what I think about that. Um, I mean, to be honest, it's, I don't think that that, I, I find it an incredibly unlikely idea that that was the straw that broke the camel's back that made them terrorists. Um, I think they probably would have done this without that particular incident. Um, I mean, like if you hadn't turned your mind to the issue at all and then you came across this kind of footage, I can imagine it would put you down a particular path. No, I don't think that it would be a determinative factor. I don't. I think that um, the grievances are more general than that. And the grievances have a lot to do with uh, the Israeli-Palestine conflict, the presence of American troops in the Middle East and other places, um, in the invasion of Iraq, um, and, you know, any number of other... Um, problems between the West and the Muslim world. I don't think that particularly nasty things that the West has done, like the Aru Abu Ghraib pictures and um, Guantanamo Bay, are as decisive as people make them out to be. Um, that's just my own intuition on the matter. Having spoken to a lot of uh, angry young Muslim men, I think that they're just more generally pissed than they are motivated by these very sort of specific public instances of bad behaviour on the West's part. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for what it's worth, that's my view on it. Now, um, I'm, this is all quite uh, sad and upsetting. Do you want to do a bit of question and answer for tea with Alice or shall I just do that on my own? Um, I can't really say I'm in the mood. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's such a depressing topic. It is. Um, so question and answer. Um, 
I don't know. I'm not really down with it, no. What about you, Rod? I don't want to get in the way of you uh, doing the question and answer. A serious episode this week? Uh, what sort of questions would they be? Would they be related to the... Uh... They're not related to any of this stuff. Stuff it, let's do it then. <laughs> you want to you end on a high note? Well, we can well, close we, out... we can try. We can edit it out if it's terrible. We can close out uh, Pat and Rod Save the World and just keep this being Tea with Alice. If you prefer. No, it doesn't bother me at all. I mean, let's give it a whirl. <laughs> I just can imagine a world where there's a question and I've got something super cynical to say in response because of uh, the discussion points over the last hour. Yeah. I mean, this could fall completely flat, but... Okay, let's start in the sad mood and uh, move up from there, all right? All right, you're a comedian, all right? We're a 6 p.m. audience. We've just gotten out of work. We've had our bosses... Uh, harangue us all day, make us feel better. So Mike Clay asks, okay, I have a question. What's the saddest thing in the world to you right now? <laughs> drowning puppies. It's always drowning puppies. Oh, really? <laughs> what if you need to eat a puppy? Hmm? <laughs> if you're hungry for puppies? Um, well, drowning them wouldn't be the way to go then. Drowning's a horrible death, so I'm told. I hear it's quite a peaceful death. Well, I can't say that it would be. I mean, Probably more think about the burning being... of your lungs as you just, like, know you can't get that breath of air. I think it'd be a horrible death. Do you remember the time that we did those that competition? Who could stay at the bottom of the pool the longest? Who could swim the furthest? Oh, okay. I reckon I got close to blacking out during that competition, and um, it wasn't that distressing. Hmm. I don't. I don't actually remember that. I, I remember having a competition on who could stay at the bottom of the pool the longest. Oh um, no, mate! I remember it was a twenty-five meter pool, yeah. and I damn near killed myself doing three laps of it. Jeez. You don't remember that? It was me versus Bates. You don't remember that? That was in your Varsity Shores uh, residential I don't at Bond that. University. I don't remember that. Yeah, that was when we were on that trip up north. Yeah. Um, not that anyone will care. <laughs> but I can attest that it's actually when you're sort of really running low, yeah. it's not that bad. Okay. Yeah. Well, here's another question. What is more important, uh, optimizing your life for friendship or optimizing your life for work? That's from your L. Friendship. Friendship? Yeah. But then again, I don't have a high opinion of work. So hang on, is this in respect of a particular person or...? No, just generally. What do you, what do you think is a better thing to do in life? Is to optimise towards friendship or optimise towards work? Uh, well, if your objective is happiness, most of the statistics indicate <laughs> that maintaining the friendships uh, will leave you better off than maintaining the work. <laughs> to give a completely mercenary answer to a soulful question. What the hell was that answer, man? It was a completely mercenary <laughs> you're response. Still, you're still in the bad headspace, man. Well, you know, just, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh. <laughs> Did, didn't I get to the right answer, though? Yeah. Yes, yes. You did. Regardless of how I went. Yeah, you. Quantify friendship is the, is, the, is the first answer to that. Nick Mason asked, what's it like... To be a woman in comedy. Rod, Pat? Well, I could answer that to some extent. It seems to be really hard. Um, there does seem to be a disadvantage. Uh, Where do you think the disadvantage lies? 
Well, at least from what I've heard from various female comedians, it comes down to the audience having difficulty deciding whether or not they want to laugh at you or fuck you. And those two things are very hard to do at the same time. Some of, <laughs> some of the most hilarious sex I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't work that way. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the problem, I think. I mean, most comedians are incredibly serious people in their real lives. And the ones who aren't are worrying. Yeah, there's something about, like, it's a little bit like a broken puppet if you stay off stage like you are on stage. Yeah. So where's the fucking off switch on this person? Well, it depends on what your on-stage persona is like, I guess. If you're well, but it's chilled almost out stage, always unsustainable. Yeah, that's At least true. from what I can tell, anyway. Uh, what about you, Rod? What do you think it's like to be a woman in comedy? Sorry, I'm still on the image of the broken puppet there. It just turned, like I just started going down like a little horror movie rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, a little chucky. Like, I can't like stop doing punchlines. Yeah. It's horrible. No, like, My life like, is a nightmare. Like a cracked wooden face with bad paint and like has like cranking music. Um, <laughs> broken puppet, that's terrifying. Puppets are scary. Puppets are scary. Broken puppets are even scarier. Mm. Uh, I can't find any more questions at the moment. Um other than that, do you have any questions? I can answer questions. Or do we have questions of you? Yeah. That's. I mean, I'm trying to do a question and answer segment now. I can solve any of your know. any of your problems, or I can answer a question about me. Do you think it's worthwhile following these kinds of things in the news? Ooh, that's interesting. Have we just depressed ourselves for no apparent reason? That's interesting because I didn't follow the news for two years and the only reason I started following it again was because of working for News Lab. I had to read the news in order to do my job. I didn't really suffer from it. I just, I would just learn the news sort of third hand through what people were talking about but I found myself less worried and probably less depressed about the state of the world. So... Am I to take from that that you feel like you're worse off being well-informed? Quite possibly, yeah. Well, not worse off in it. Like, <clears throat> I guess uh, intellectually and financially I'm probably better off given that I can sell my opinions on these things. But emotionally I think I'm probably less well off. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing germane to my survival in knowing that 11 of my putative colleagues were killed. Well, you do know not to indulge the urge to draw a cartoon of the Prophet Muhammad within sight of a Muslim. Actually, no. It just made me want to do that more. Yeah, it had the exact opposite effect for me. Yeah, well, yeah. Actually, well, it, uh, it made me want to plunge into this whole thing and figure out who who is a threat to me and who is not a threat to me. And I think, you know... Well, it's super, it seems to be, I mean, not to go back to the topic, it's hard to know. It's hard to People know. People are conflicted. They have competing impulses. I'm sure there are a lot of Muslims out there wondering how they should feel about it. It's like the feminist thing. The more you read about horrible things that men have done online, the less you are able to recognise that most people treat you well most of the time. You start looking for incidences of 
bad treatment without really thinking about the fact that it's less than 100 years since we got the vote. Well, it's about 100 years since we got the vote uh, in Australia at any rate. So hmm. we've done relatively well. <laughs> well, that's a pretty good note to end on, I reckon. Yeah. It wasn't so long ago that people were burning people for heresy, so... That's true. I think we're on the upswing. Probably. It's a all momentary in all. drawback. The world is getting better slowly. So the answer to your question is better to stop watching the news or put it in perspective in a global kind of historical way. <laughs>